A little while ago, uh, I was shopping on eBay and I bought this special SD card for my pocket PC. Uh, it was supposed to make it receive wireless internet. I was really, really excited. Really excited. Uh, it arrived in the post, which is an achievement for eBay. Uh, I opened it up, I plugged it into my pocket PC, ready to go. Nothing. <laughs> Didn't work. Then, I was shopping on eBay. I bought this keyboard for my pocket PC. Uh, it was supposed to make life easy at college. Uh, I got it, I opened it up, I installed all the software, switched it on. <laughs> Didn't work. Nothing. Do you know that the trouble with shopping on eBay? Uh, the trouble is, there's no guarantee that you're actually going to get what you've paid for. Uh, eBay sellers, they promise all kinds of things that you can buy, but there's no guarantees. No guarantees that what you'll get is genuine, that it's not damaged, and that it'll work, or that it'll even arrive. Right, sure, uh, they try and make sure it all happens nicely and no one gets ripped off, but there's no real guarantees. There's no guarantee that you'll get what's been promised to you. Right, no, do you, do you want to know what you do if you want a guarantee? If you want a guarantee, you don't shop on eBay. You, you go straight to the shop, to the dealer, you get a receipt, you get some proof uh, that, that you'll get what's been promised. You get a signature on a contract. You say, I'll pay you this much money, you give me a keyboard that works. <laughs> My side, pay money, their side, give what's been promised. If you want certainty that someone's going to be true to their word, then it pays to get it written down, doesn't it? Uh, get both sides of the deal on paper and then get a signature on the dotted line. It seals the deal. It makes sure everyone does their part. You do this, I'll do that. It's a guarantee. It's a contract. Uh, well, tonight we're going to see God guaranteeing his promises to Israel. He signs on the dotted line and he commits himself to do everything he said he's going to do. He guarantees his promises. Do you remember the promises that God's made to Israel? He's brought them up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and he said he's going to take them to the promised land. He's taken them through the Red Sea and through the wilderness to Mount Sinai and um, over the last few weeks we've seen he's given them a whole stack of laws that he wants them to follow if they're to be his people. It's a contract. God sets out what he wants uh, and if Israel want to be his people... They've got to do it. That's what we've seen in the last few weeks. And in this next bit of Exodus, uh, God reminds his people just exactly what it is he's promising them and what they're obligated to do in response. It's uh, a summary of the deal, if you like. So the passage we're looking at is Exodus 23, starting at verse 20. Uh, in this passage, God says he's going to send his messenger ahead of them uh, to guard them, to guide them, to bring them to the promised land. All they have to do is listen to him and obey what he says. Uh, now you notice that I didn't say he's going to send an angel. There is a reference to an angel in this first, uh, first few verses. And it's not really clear who the angel is uh, what, or what it refers to. 
Uh, the word angel just means messenger. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean a supernatural messenger, although it, it could do that. Uh, it could just mean a human. It might be Moses, who's the one uh, leading the people to the promised land, going ahead of them. Or um, it might be the angel of the Lord, who's made a couple of appearances in Exodus. But as we read these first few verses, uh, just notice that by sending his angel, his messenger, uh, God's actually saying that it's him who's going to go uh, and uh, get them to the promised land himself. Notice God says it's his name that's in the angel. Uh, they're to listen to what the angel says, but at the same time do all that God himself tells them. If they don't, there'll be trouble, uh, but if they do, then God will be the enemy that will wipe out their, uh, the inhabitants of the land. Uh, so let's take a look. Exodus 23, verse 20. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Don't rebel against him. He'll not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say... I'll read that again. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites and Jebusites and I will wipe them out. So basically here God's saying he's going to bring them to the land. All the Israelites need to do is obey. Um, their obedience is going to look like just one thing, absolute loyalty. Uh, they're not to turn to other gods. Uh, they're, not to turn, excuse me, they're not to turn to idols as they go into the land. Instead, they're to worship God alone, uh, just like their first commandment says. Uh, and then if they do, God says he's going to bless everything. He's going to bless their meals. He's going to bless their families. Everything is going to be blessed. And the certain thing is God's going to give them the land. It's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. Now take a look at verse 24. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I'll take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I'll give you a full lifespan. And then jump down to verse 31. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I'll hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they'll cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. So there's God's promise to Israel, his contract, his covenant. Did you get it? God's going to take them to the land and drive out all the people. And if Israel, Israel want to enjoy the blessing, uh, then they just have to obey God and stay faithful to him. It's a contract of loyalty. God's side, promised land and blessing. Israel's side, loyalty and obedience. And then as we go into chapter 24... And we get to see God's uh, guarantee of his covenant. Now, take a look at it. Uh, see what Moses does. Uh, first of all, Moses and some other guys are summoned up 
uh, onto the mountain to worship God. Most of them are to worship from a long way off, but Moses is actually going to go up and meet with God. Uh, Take a look at these guys. Uh, 24 verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You're to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Now, we don't know yet why these guys are going up to worship, but we do know they're going to worship. Uh, And we'll come back to them when we get to verse 9. We'll come back when we've got a bit more of an idea of why they're worshipping, because that's what we're going to see in the next few verses. Uh, So let's take a look at Moses, what he does. Uh, Because here, Moses actually goes and he tells the people all the things God wants them to do, all that God God wants them to know. He tells them the laws they're supposed to follow, like have been set out in chapters 19 to 23. And uh, notice the people's response. Verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Everything the Lord has said, we'll do. That's their response. Moses sets before them the terms of the contract, the terms of the covenant, and they agree wholeheartedly. God says, obey me, and the people say, no worries. And uh, so Moses, he goes ahead and he writes out the contract. He puts all the laws on paper and then he performs uh, a ceremony that was one of the common ways uh, to bind someone to a contract in the ancient world. It's a covenant ceremony that seals the deal. It's kind of like uh, a wedding ceremony, except instead of a bride and a groom, you've got God and his people, Israel. Uh, And instead of exchanging rings and signing the register, there's sacrifices and blood. Uh, The sealing of this contract involves blood. Take a look, verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men... And they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls. And the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Uh, And in the next part, we get to the I do's of the ceremony. Moses reads out the law that he's written down, effectively saying, Will you love God and obey him? And the people respond, We will. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Uh, And then in verse 8, we see God's guarantee of the contract. His I do. Israel have accepted their side and now God agrees to his. He seals the deal. And it's like it's sealed with blood. Uh, Moses sprinkles the blood all over the people. And... uh, It's that sprinkling of blood that's God signing on the dotted line, signing with blood, committing himself to carry out the words that he's spoken. Verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Uh, Now, these are some really important words. Uh, They're some of the most important words 
in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. They're important because it's this blood that guarantees God's commitment to his covenant. And that means they can be sure that God's going to bless them. All they need to do is obey him and they'll get God's promises. It's God's guarantee of his covenant and it's sealed by blood. Can you see that? Well, uh, next the passage returns to the guys going up the mountain. It goes back to the guys who are going up to worship. Uh, But now we've got some idea of why they're going to worship. They're celebrating the covenant that God's just made with his people. Uh, So Moses, these guys, they go up and they see God and they have a celebratory meal. Uh, From verse 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. And then Moses is summoned a bit further up the mountain because God has something for him. God's going to give Moses a stone copy of the law, a stone copy of the covenant, so the people can keep it forever and know that God will be good to his word. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I've written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So have you got the point of these two chapters in Exodus? In chapter 23, God promises to bring his people into the land. And he says he's going to bless them. He'll bless their food, their families, everything. And all God requires is that they obey him and serve him. Uh, And then in chapter 24, God gives a guarantee of his covenant. It's a guarantee of blood. Uh, The people commit themselves to obey and God signs on the dotted line uh, with a blood sacrifice to say he's committed to his people. God has sealed the deal on this covenant. Now, if you were an Israelite standing at Mount Sinai, this would be a really, really, really big deal. Because this would mean that you could know God will be faithful to his covenant. Your side, obey. God's side, he'll give you the land and bless you. It's, it's easy, it's guaranteed. It's sealed with blood. But you know the problem with this covenant, don't you? The problem is, Israel kept breaking it. Over and over again, they failed to live up to their side of the deal. They didn't love God. They didn't obey him. They didn't worship him alone. They constantly turned to other gods. Sure, God was still true to his side. He, He still brought them to the land 
blessed them and drove out their enemies. But still, Israel couldn't live God's way. They couldn't love him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. They just kept stuffing it up. And so God removed his blessing. It's the flip side of the covenant. God kicked them out of the promised land. He removed their blessing in judgment. In one sense, you could say that this covenant with God's people failed because his people couldn't obey him. They couldn't keep their side of the bargain. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of God's dealing with his people or with humanity. Because God made a new covenant. But this time it's a covenant with a difference. Because God's new covenant doesn't depend on obedience for blessing. That didn't work with Israel. Instead, this new covenant is about forgiveness and a changed heart. You see, God says he'll enable his people to obey by writing the law on their hearts. And not only that, he promises to forgive sin and remember it no more. I'll get you to look at some verses from Jeremiah. I've put them on your outline there. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This part of Jeremiah was written during the exile from the promised land. And here, uh, God promises to restore the fortunes of, the, of his people. Uh, but uh, with this new covenant, his people are actually going to be able to keep their end of the bargain because they're going to have a new heart. They're going to be forgiven. So they're going to be able to enjoy God's blessing forever. But I kind of wonder, uh, where's the guarantee God guaranteed his first covenant with blood. Uh, where's the signature on the dotted line here? Uh, how can we know that God's going to be good to his word and bless his people, forgive them and enable them to follow him? Uh, where's the guarantee? Uh, well, uh, take a look at the words of Jesus. Luke 22. Uh, they're on your outline as well. And Jesus makes a stunning claim in this verse. Uh, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples and he's passed around some bread. He's told the disciples that it represents his body, uh, which is soon going to be given for them. And then he picks up his cup and he says, it's time to sign on the dotted line. Now take a look, Luke 22, verse 20. After supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It sounds similar to Moses' words from Exodus, doesn't it? Uh, what Jesus is saying here is that uh, his blood is actually the guarantee of God's promised new covenant. God's signature on the dotted line uh, that he'll restore the fortunes of his people uh, and not just 
to Israel, but to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. This seals the deal for anyone who trusts in Jesus. You see, in this meal, Jesus is referring to his imminent death on the cross. And he's saying that as he dies, his blood is the guarantee that God has established the new covenant. His blood is the guarantee that God will forgive sin and remember it no more. His blood is the guarantee of an eternal blessing that can't be lost. But because of his death on the cross, we know that God will be true to his promise. It's a stunning claim. The new covenant is established and guaranteed with Jesus' blood. Forgiveness from God, eternal life, guaranteed because Jesus' blood seals the deal. And you know, I reckon uh, this is actually where the rubber hits the road for us with regard to God's promises. Because I reckon that most people have no confidence that God will really forgive them. Most people have no confidence they'll be with God for eternity, no confidence they're good enough or worthy enough to be with God, no real hope for the future, no guarantee. It's bad enough that there's no guarantees on eBay, don't you think? No guarantee. But to have no guarantee for eternity, that's got to be worse. And you know, uh, even for people who've been Christians for a while, we can fall into the trap of thinking we can't be sure of the future. Because uh, when life gets hard, with all the ups and downs, with the busyness of life, we quickly forget about God's promises to us. We forget God's promises and we start to doubt his goodness. We doubt he'll really forgive us. We doubt that we're really okay with God. It's when we lose sight of God's promises and his guarantee of those promises that we lose our confidence, our assurance, our hope. We become like most people. And, you know, it's then that we start to rely on ourselves. We've actually got no option but to rely on ourselves because we've forgotten God's promises to us. We slip into thinking that we have to try and be good people, try and be good Christians. Hope God will be a bit more impressed with us and, you know, that might tip the scales in our favour. You know the problem with that kind of thinking? We can't do anything to impress God. Like Israel, we can't obey him like we should. We fail when we forget about God's promises. And that means no hope, no certainty, no guarantee. And I actually think that that is terrible. It's a terrible way to live life. And I reckon it's made even worse because it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be unsure about our future. And, you know, this is the great thing about the new covenant, the great thing about what we've seen tonight. Because we do have a guarantee of what the future holds, and it doesn't depend on us. Our forgiveness, our eternal life, are not dependent on anything we do. They're only dependent on Jesus. Our guarantee is found in Jesus, and that's something we shouldn't forget. The book of Hebrews describes it this way. See it there on your outline. 
Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, meaning he establishes it and guarantees it, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Can you see what it's saying? Because of the new covenant sealed by Jesus' blood, anyone who is called, that is, anyone who has their trust in Jesus, may receive the internal inheritance. Not may as in might or maybe receive it, but can and will receive it. Trust in Jesus and because of his death on the cross, you will receive the promised eternal inheritance. Eternal life with God, forgiveness of sins. It's guaranteed. And So I've got to ask you tonight, have you got the guarantee? Have you really got the guarantee? Do you know you're forgiven? Do you know you'll be with God in eternity? Are you sure? Or have you forgotten God's promises to you? Because it would be a real shame to leave tonight and not have got this. It would be a real shame not to remember God's guarantee to you. God has offered us a better covenant than he gave to Israel. It's not dependent on anything we do, but it's only dependent on Jesus' death on the cross. He promises forgiveness and eternal life. And this covenant is sealed, guaranteed by Jesus' blood shed for you. I reckon it would be pretty terrible to still not be sure how you'll spend eternity, to leave with no confidence. God has sealed the deal. He's signed on the dotted line. He's guaranteed the new covenant with Jesus' blood. There's your guarantee. Have you got it? Well, if you do, then there's only one thing to do. And that's to remember God's promise and his guarantee to you. God is faithful and he has guaranteed you eternal life through the blood of Jesus. So as Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your wonderful promises to us to forgive our sin and to give us eternal life. We thank you for Jesus who died in our place to bring us forgiveness. We thank you that his blood guarantees your promises to us. We're sorry, Father, for the times when we've forgotten your promises and doubted your goodness. We pray that by your spirit, you might help us to trust you, to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, guaranteed by Jesus' blood. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.